Oh, man. It's like we're friends. <laughs> you know, if I close my eyes and squint and I look just the right way, it, it does appear that way, that we are indeed friends. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directly. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Rubelke. Hello. John Papa. Hey, everybody. Joe Eames. Yo. Ward Bell. Here I am. I'm Charles Max Wood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Ari Lerner. Hey, I'm special this week. All right. Yay. We'll just, we'll just call you Special Ari. Yeah. <laughs> so you wanna, special. You want to introduce I've, yourself real quick? Sure. I've been called a lot of things. Special is definitely in that list. Yeah, this is Ari Lerner. I um, am the... One of the original authors on NG Book One and NG Book Two and NG Newsletter, the esteemed special NG Newsletter. Woohoo! Hooray! So, what prompted you to write the book and do the newsletter? Oh, which one? Angular Book One. Yeah. When I first left my job about three years ago, I I built this really awesome calendaring system. Uh, I had a very, very bad front end and I was working with Backbone primarily way back when and kind of decided there must be something that would be nicer out there than Backbone because Backbone has a lot of trickery around it. I still like it, but so I, I went on a couple day long hunt for better front end experiences and I went through a bunch of frameworks back then. I say back then like it was forever ago. Kind of feels like forever ago. Uh, and I stumbled upon Angular and so I started writing in Angular and it felt like Felt like it was right. This is pre 1.0 days, and it felt right. It felt like the right, the right way to actually build a front end to my application. And one of the things that I found is that there was very, very bad documentation, or lack thereof documentation. And I started learning it by reading the source and kind of talking to the authors of the framework, and realized that there was very little documentation. So I just started kind of writing what I thought would maybe be a 30-page handbook on my learnings of Angular, and it ended up with about 520 pages of Angular content and gave up on my calendaring system and just kept going with Angular. Okay, so why did you not name it Learner's Learnings? (laughs) (laughs) Originally, it wasn't even going to be a book. It was just going to be maybe a couple blog pages. Learner's learnings. I see what you did there. I see. (laughs) (laughs) Pro tip. (laughs) Uh, For now on, pretty much everything I'm going to be uh, publishing will be called either specials or learner's learnings. I just bought the domain. You can buy it from me for $1,000. Oh. Then you'll be an ambitious thousandaire. Yeah, boom. Yeah, so that's kind of what prompted me to walk down this path of life that I've been on for the last two and a half years. So Ari, when is NG Book 2 coming out? 
Well, it's available for pre-release right now. We're aiming to have it done within the next, uh, and by done, I mean content complete, but not necessarily edited complete in the next three weeks. And will that contain what versions of Angular? Are we talking about NG Book 1 or NG Book 2? NG Book 2. NG Book 2. That will contain Angular 2, it being Angular 2. I don't understand. Uh, Wait, one more time? Right. I actually, what versions will NG Book 2 cover? Is that Alpha the 36. Oh, right now it covers Alpha 37. Up to. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. As in what version of Angular 2 will it cover? Yeah. Up, as of now, it's Angular 2 Alpha 37. So, Ari, let me ask you a question. This is what I'm dying to know, is given the state of flux that Angular 2 is in right now, how challenging is it to actually create content around Angular 2? Well, it's actually pretty similar to how it was to create content for ng-book 1, in the sense that, you know, the source, uh, despite the fact that the source code itself is evolving, and also kind of a, there's a major difference between ng-book 1 and ng-book 2 in the sense that when I got into Angular 1, the, you know, JavaScript itself wasn't in a state of flux, and so that's really pretty much the major difference between ng-book 1 and ng-book 2. As of now, the diff- like the kind of the major difference is that right now ES6, the spec itself is kind of settling out, so that's really the major difference. And Angular 2 itself is following along in that same pattern where that's actually kind of starting to settle out as well. It still is evolving, like the routing chapter, for instance, when we started it, the router itself made major changes. So we kind of had to go back and rewrite that chapter entirely. But things like the template and the components and what we know now as directives hasn't changed that much since we started writing the book, that is. And so could you elaborate just a bit more on just the general state of flux that JavaScript is in at the moment as well? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, like, like I said, ES6, the spec itself, it's kind of settling out now. There's general consensus around what are good patterns and how to actually even write ES6. Like what, you know, are there static variables, for instance, in classes? As of now, there's not. That's still kind of op- an open in the open air question, so to speak, as last as far as I last checked, things like that. One of the nice things about ES6, as it stands right now, is that Babel and the, there's a really large support in the community around uh, transpilers like Babel that allow you to start writing it today, and um, that can transpile your ES6 code in ES5. So it is really uh, that is something that is really nice to get into TypeScript. On that note. This is actually kind of one of the things that I really like about TypeScript is that you can get started on Angular 2 today using TypeScript, which is also a fantastic language. Thank you to uh, Strong Typing. So is ng-book 2 then focused around showing you how to do it with TypeScript or with regular JavaScript? Uh, So we focus a lot on TypeScript in the book. We have a chapter itself dedicated to TypeScript, and we have a lot of our getting started stuff is using TypeScript. But we also make the point in the book currently, you can use um, JavaScript itself when we do some examples in JavaScript. You know, I think it's going to be interesting as Angular 2 comes more in force where it starts using it. Since you can use ES5, you can use ES6, you can use TypeScript. When you Google for it, because that's what people are going to do, some samples are only going to be done in one of those. Like the Angular team, I suppose, might do in all three. But I imagine not everybody's going to write a book or an article or a blog post or a code sample in all of them. So it'd be interesting to see what the predominant one is. Yeah, yeah I think, that is going to be interesting, isn't it? You know, that's kind of a, there's a little team that's kind of evolved around writing Angular Book 2. This time it's not only me, which is really nice. And that's a discussion that we have pretty consistently. Is where should we spend our time? What language should we spend our time in? And I think we're spending more and more time in JavaScript because of that conversation. But we, like I said, we write a lot in TypeScript. And I think that is going to be really interesting too, because it, Angular 2 itself is, it's largely a different enough framework where Angular 2 could be kind of a misnomer or it could be considered to be mislabeled because it's such a divergent path from Angular 1 that learning both another language and another framework, to be flippant about it, learning those two simultaneously is kind of a lot of well, when, are you, overhead. When you yeah. say you're doing it in JavaScript, are you talking ES5 or ES6? Oh, ES6. I'm sorry. Not right, ES5. But but, so I'd argue back with you, isn't learning ES6 pretty much learning a new language anyway if you've been an ES5 developer for many years? ES6 isn't largely different enough to be really considered. TypeScript and ES5 
and TypeScript against ES6, those are very different languages from each other. The syntax, in the sense that you have that static typing that you can rely on for error checking. ES6 itself is close enough to ES5, where I'd say that there is some knowledge overhead to actually have to learn it, especially if you see syntax like the spread operator that you've never seen before. There is overhead to learn that, but I think that that's kind of the natural path of like language evolving. That's, that's language. really interesting because um, I actually disagree with you. I, I find that ES5 and 6 are more difference between those than there is ES6 and TypeScript for me. Like I can go between ES6 and TypeScript back and forth, and I don't feel the pain personally. But when I go from doing a lot of ES5 during my day job, quite frankly, and then I have to do either TypeScript or ES6 after, I have to make. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I, I feel my experience is different than yours, I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I have spent a lot of time in all three, and I end up tripping over TypeScript more than I end up tripping. Well, maybe maybe in contrast with each other. I actually... I think I'd probably align closer to what you said with ES6 and ES and TypeScript. Um, there's still, I think ES5 and ES6 are close enough where the knowledge overhead for learning those two, or for learning ES6 from ES5 is easier than from TypeScript. But I can definitely yeah, see was, the other side too. And if I was completely honest, I would tell you that uh, while I write in all three of those, I have the least amount of problems with ES5. I'd be very honest. Many, many times I'm very happy and content just to write functions. And when I have to rewrite them as classes, sometimes I have to really rethink what I'm doing. So while I like TypeScript and ES6, and I use it a lot. And I see definitely see the advantage that I can use it. ES5 sometimes is just, it's almost second nature for me now. Right. Well, you've been writing in it for a long time, so that's not surprising. Exactly. Yeah, I think that the addition of the typing syntax that you have with TypeScript is something that you have to trip over, and maybe that's why you're feeling like that's such a dramatic difference. Because if you if you don't use typing, then I can't tell the difference much between ES6 and TypeScript. But it does seem to me to be a big hurdle to go from ES5 to ES6, particularly if you're falling down the the class rabbit hole. Which I don't know. What do you think about? Uh, you like your classes? I, I'm just not sold. Well, I subscribe to a uh, functional style probably more than I do to uh, object style anyway. There are things that I like about the class style. I really like using decorators on classes. But beyond that, like if you're just, if we're just talking purely about functions, if you're talking about the classical style in ES6, functions are so much easier to follow than objects. Yeah, I just wish we could use them more, but Angular 2 drives you, and many other systems also seem to be driving you towards uh, classes, which means um, you have to give up the functional style a lot, it seems to me, unless you're having some other kind of experience, in which case I'm curious. No, I agree with you probably more than 110% on that. When you, when you look at this, right, so we've got ES5 and it's functional, and you've got ES6, and while you can be functional in ES6, and I think it's great to use functional in it, it does feel very much like all the new frameworks that are coming out are driving towards, yeah, you can use ES6, you can use functional, but we kind of like it if you use classes with ES6. That's, that's what I'm seeing, at least. Yeah, and Angular, Angular 2 itself is hitting um, classes quite a bit also. Yeah, I, I wish there was a, an analogy for putting decorators on functions, <laughs> you know, but it just doesn't seem to work quite that well, when- way. Those would just be composite functions, I think. Which is, you know, you wrap a function in a function. Before we go down a complete rabbit hole, uh, let me just <laughs> announce what I, the thing that I find most distasteful with classes every day is the, all that the I, I can't, is, no, I can't do, yeah, there's lots of homework. <laughs> but, uh, and there Ooh. actually is, <laughs> there is, there's too much homework. But particularly, I can't, you know, I've got all these variables around that are exposed and I'm underscoring them to let the world know that if you happen to be looking in the debugger, you're not supposed to actually touch that thing because it's not yours. But I can't really hide it. So the information hiding is terrible. Yeah, the, the lack of private variables, I think, is kind of what you're. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, there. yeah, there's no. Exactly. There's no hope for that. And so in order not to have somebody stumble on it and think that when in the debugger, Let's face it, we end up on a lot of the time. And they see a juicy dot something there, uh, they want to call it. And, you know, you've written your whole class on the assumption that nobody could get to that thing. 
And so the only way you can signal that wink, wink is to follow the convention of underscoring it. And so I've got underscores everywhere and it's just painful. So that's the homework. That's the bookkeeping that I, I hate to do. And I think that instead of just sounding like some theoretical class hater, which I also am, <laughs> there is this practical thing that our, our more practical audience should be aware of. But anyway, I'm stepping off my soapbox. Let's get to what you're liking in Angular 2, because you say you're spending some time there. Yeah, well, in order to write a book, I kind of have to. <laughs> oh, I cracked myself up. Yeah, you did. Um, you broke me up there, too, I'm thinking. But I'm <laughs> So who needs to know the subject to write about it? Not Ari. No, not me. Not me. I flatten my magical knowledge wings. What do I like about Angular 2? I like the new templating syntax. I like where in templates you can name. Kind of like what ng1 has with controller as syntax. I like, I, I personally like controller as syntax. It allows you to get closer to the JavaScript rather than Angular itself. Like I said, I like decorators, and I really like I like kind of the annotations that decorators provide for classes if you end up having to write classes, which, again, as we've talked about pretty much this entire episode, Angular 2 um, really kind of underscores using classes, at least my experience with it does. I also really, one of the things that I strongly support the direction that Angular 2 has taken is the isolation it takes when it talks about building components for a page. And kind of dissimilar to Angular 1, even though Angular 1 does make this claim, I've never actually successfully used it inside of other frameworks. That's not true. I have used it in other frameworks at the same time. However, Angular 1 itself has like a pretty strong opinion on wrapping, on using one Angular app within a page. Whereas Angular 2, I've used it in combination with React, React Native, Omniscient on React Native, and ClojureScript. I've kind of used them all. I've used Angular 2's success in those different uh, spots. Do you feel like Angular 2 enables certain kinds of, well, certain common application scenarios uh, in a better way uh, than you uh, remember from Angular 1? I'm not sure I understand. Does it make it easier to write? Well, I'm thinking, you know, I'm sitting here trying to write an app. I write Angular 1. Let's suppose I'm writing Angular 1 apps. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe I should try on this, take this Angular 2 on. What good things are going to happen to me as a result of making that move? Well, I see. Well, I think, you know, I kind of, I mentioned ClojureScript a little bit. If you're using ClojureScript kind of as an analogy, if you were using ClojureScript three years ago, the difference between three years ago and ClojureScript today is that there's so much more, uh, there's many more components and many more open source libraries that are, that are available now than were three years ago. And so kind of the analogy that I'm trying to take there is that three years from now, there's going to be a lot more, um, libraries and components written in ES6 and TypeScript. So if you're writing your application today and you're aiming for a couple years, you're aiming for that thing to run for a couple years and you want to use something you want to use a um, open source library that will come out in a year from now. Building out your application in Angular today uh, is going to give you better preparation for that tomorrow and better preparation for the tools that are actually coming out. That's my advice for learning Angular 2 and ES6 today. Also, to more directly answer the question that you just asked, why would you want to try Angular 2 today? Why would you want to try building an application? I feel like that was the question that you asked. It kind of is. It's like, how does Angular 2 make, how might that become a better approach to writing my application? What does it allow me to do that I can do uh, more easily than I could in Angular 1? Got it. So you can embed your Angular 2 functionality inside your Angular 1 application and deal with that functionality in isolation. So for instance, if you're going to write your tabs you know, if you have a tab component that shows different tabs and different states of your application, you could write that solely in Angular 2 and let that live in the Angular 2 component style and still uh, work with your Angular 1 application as though it's as though it's the same app, which is kind of, it's really nice because if you end up, let's say that you end up writing a component in React and you want to integrate it with your Angular 2 app, it's pretty easy to do. It's going to be the component itself will be very similar, if not the same, when you add another, like I said, a React component. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One more thing on top of that same idea is that 
It helps who's, who's ever writing that tab component, for instance, to follow along with that example, doesn't ha necessarily have to know how the video transcoding component that somebody else is writing that sits inside of that, inside of one of those tabs. It helps keep that um, component knowledge isolation. Yeah. So Ari, something I, I've read recently and heard from a few people, and this isn't necessarily my opinion, but I'm curious what you think is, hey, you're just simply being foolish if you're writing an Angular 1 application today, that you should be doing something different, whether it's not Angular or Angular 2 or whatever. Uh, how do you feel about that kind of statement? Because I'm, I'm hearing that more and more from people, and as you can tell from my tone, I don't necessarily agree with that, but what do you think? Well, I'm going to ask that question right back to you after I answer my initial opinion, because I'm curious about what you think, because we do hear that. I definitely hear that, especially with people who reach out, people who have purchased uh, NG Book One. And, you know, we are really, we try to be really responsive with NG Book One. So people who have also reached out and asked for support ask us that similar question. I think that kind of one of the byproducts of being a software developer is you end up having to balance that ever changing. You know, our field is constantly changing. We have JavaScript itself is changing. And JavaScript has been around, ES5 has been around for kind of a long time. And JavaScript has come, is becoming something new. We didn't have GitHub wasn't that, wasn't a big deal a couple of years ago. And now it's really kind of a big deal. These are things like, those are really like high level examples. But that's kind of the, like I said, one of the byproducts of being a software developer. And I think right now, Angular 2 itself, if you're writing an app in Angular 2 today, you can expect that in a month from now, your Angular app 2 app is going to be kind of, outdated and you may end up having to change your app just to support the new angular 2 syntax in terms of why should you not write it into are you being foolish if you're writing angular 1 because angular 2 is coming out i think like being a software developer requires you to pick the right tool for the right job at the right moment and i think angular 1 is so powerful and we can do a lot with angular 1 that if you want to build the best software products that you can for today you should be writing it in Angular 1 for sure. Also, the other thing is that it's not going away. You know, people still write Fortran today, and they're the people who are making tons of money, you know. Thanks. Yeah, and, and let's be honest, I mean, Fortran. and Angular 1 isn't Fortran, right? It's When you say it's not going away, the counter-argument I hear a lot as well, may not be going away, but it's not an act of development. It's going to be supported for X amount of time. And I, I, had a, I heard a friend, before I answer kind of my thought, I heard a friend say today when I asked him this question, it's kind of like the iPhone, right? Nobody wants to be on the old one. They all want to be chasing the next new one, the one that's coming down the road. And the problem with that game is if you're constantly chasing the next thing that's coming, I mean, you're never actually going to do anything. She's like, wait a minute, I don't want to use Angular 2 because Angular 3 is coming out. Or I don't want to use React 1 because React 2 is coming out. When, when does it stop? At some point, is it about building the technology? Or is it about delivering business solutions for the people who are actually paying your salaries? Right. And that's, that's kind of where I get back to. Yeah, right. Of course. I mean, you could just write in straight jQuery. That's not going away. And people are still writing in just straight jQuery or even just straight JavaScript. And they're delivering, you know, they're delivering solutions. Like well, there's lots of um, businesses out there that are making tons of money on their own homebrewed frameworks, not using Angular, not using Knockout. You know, it depends what you're doing it for. We always hear somebody say, use the right tool for the right job. And I like the way you added for the current moment or at the right time, because that's, <laughs> that's a really important third leg following that. You know, do I wait for the next phone strategy? We can't do that. We have to write our apps today. And uh, yeah, we have to look ahead a little bit, make sure we're not driving off a cliff. But Angular 1 isn't driving off a cliff. It's no, still and it's, re it's really powerful, too. Like, yes, exactly. It's good stuff. And the migration story has improved so rapidly from Angular 1 to Angular 2, and the sort of the coexistence story has improved so rapidly there that I think one should be feeling better today about programming in Angular 1 than maybe you did a while ago uh, when you didn't know, when you had no idea about how you were going to take a massive Angular 1 app and ever get it to go anywhere. And now I, now I think there's a vision for that. Yeah, and when does that ever, you think about that, when does that happen in JavaScript land uh, in recent years? And I can't think of an example, I'm sure there is one, but of when you could say, hey, I'm on the older version of X, and I'm going to go to the next version, and they're not compatible, but yet I can actually still slowly migrate and actually have both live in the same time in the same app. In Angular, that's going to work. 
Yeah, I yeah. can't think of another example. No, that's that's incredibly refreshing, and that and that circles back to a, a point you were making earlier, Ari, about how it coexists with other frameworks, and it's that same sense of, you know, uh, it's its own thing, but it it doesn't intrude on everything else that allows it to play well with other frameworks, which includes, as it turns out, Angular One. Yep, absolutely agree with that. We are actually that's kind of one of the th- we have a chapter in the book about doing that migration specifically because it's been requested by so many people and so many times. So. Yeah, and you asked me as well, kind of where I would go. And the answer very quickly of what I would do with Angular One today is I am actively involved in many Angular One apps right now, uh, and I have no problem with that. There's nothing wrong with building an application in Angular One right now. Right now, today, at the moment, it's solving many problems that our users have. And that's what we're using. When Angular 2 is ready, I will look to use that as well. But today, Angular 1 is tried and true, and I want something that can live for a couple of years and solve problems. And that's what that is. The other thing is we, all, we also live right now. We're not living in a couple of years. So Exactly. I mean, I'm not trying to build something that's going to be the hottest technology in four years. I have no idea what it's going to be. It might be wordbell.js. Who knows what it is? Well, that's killer. That's the one I'm working that, on. Yeah. That's I coming in any day. Also, I just bought the domain. So. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or flapmytechnologywings.com. Is yeah, that what you said one. earlier, Ari? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that one's a mouthful. I'll let you go grab that one. <laughs> So one thing that I'm wondering with NG Book 2 is how do you get your information? Because it seems like a lot of people are, you know, they're either watching NG Newsletter or they're following the NG Book 2. I've bought the book. I just haven't done anything with it yet. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, where are you getting your information? Are you watching the source code or is there something else to it? Uh, I'm kind of lucky in the sense that there is, like I said before, there's kind of a team growing around, a smaller team growing around uh, NG Book 2. So I can say that I contribute about a quarter of the information rather than all of it. So I can, I can only answer for me. I can't answer for the rest of the writers on the book. There's actually two other writers. Maybe a quarter isn't the right division. But anyway, yeah, I, I read a lot of the source. I'm actually pretty much constantly have my terminal open or Emacs open with the source code as I'm writing the book, the parts of the book that I'm writing. Where am I getting that information? Pretty much the source. What parts of the source are you watching closely? What are you writing about? So right now, the couple of chapters that are in active development are, are that migration chapter, mm-hmm. number one, and also the testing chapter. So you know, those are the two parts of the source that I'm spending more and more time on. And one of the kind of the nice things about Angular, but be it Angular 1 or Angular 2, is that the Angular team itself is really sensitive to testing and ensuring that the source code that they're writing actually is tested and is dependable. So one of the nice parts about writing testing components is that I, despite the fact that I know what's going on and I know how I test my Angular 2 apps, it's really nice to have forced me to look at how the Angular team itself is testing its own its own framework. Well, you're, of, you're speaking my language there because that's the area I'm also watching closely with Angular 2 and making some suggestions on. So maybe we can talk a little bit about what that feels like after you finish your second point. Yeah, you know, one of the nice things about kind of this is what we were talking about a little bit before we started recording. But one of the things that I'm really excited about in this next version of JavaScript, so to speak, component style development is that we can use different data bindings in the front end. One of the things that I've been spending a lot more time on is using immutable JS to make my objects immutable uh, and also using one-way data binding, so one-way data flows, things like RxJS, for instance, which we have a chapter on in ng-book 2, and how to use RxJS along with Angular 2. Those are like kind of the two areas that I spend a lot more of my time and my focus on with Angular 2. Well, uh, I just heard Joe drop uh, there because he's a big Rx fan. Um, <laughs> and I know we're going to actually talk about that in an upcoming show. But do you want to clue us in on how you're using Rx in Angular 2? Uh, I'm not entirely certain how to answer that question, actually. I, like, how am I using it? Uh, yeah. yeah. How does it show up for you? One of the things that I like from, and this might be a dirty word, this might be a dirty phrase to say here, but one of the things that I really like from the React community is the architecture around the Flux framework and kind of the ideas behind the Flux framework, like data dependability. And I think that that's something that 
as at least personally, as our application started growing more and more complex, thanks in large part to the power of Angular 1, NG1, the state of data in our applications was actually becoming a, like a bigger unknown, a bigger question mark. And now that when the flux pattern came out, it kind of started forcing myself and a lot of my co-developers and co-workers to actually start focusing on the state of data within our applications. And that kind of has led us down a couple different paths, including using Flux and using RxJS. One of the things that I like about RxJS is it forces that similar pattern of one-way data flow, and it makes it really easy to be able to depend on where the data is in my app, in my particular applications. In an audible form, describe <laughs> what you're talking about there in terms of that one-way data flow. Like, you know, and, and it may help to make it concrete. Let's suppose take some data and describe how you get that circular one-way flow. Like, like say, you know, a person object or something, or a collection of people or something like that. How does that manifest itself? Right. So specifically with Rx or just one-way data flow? Just start, start from the one-way data flow because I, I keep, you know, we all keep hearing how wonderful this is, and, but I'm not sure it's been properly described. Since everyone here is probably everyone who's listening to the podcast and everyone who's participating in it knows Angular, or NG1 at least, I'll pose this from an NG1 perspective. Say that you have an Angular 1 component. You have an Angular 1 button on the page that has an ng-click assignment attached to it. And you click on that button, and that button, say, pops up a login form. If you start typing in your username inside of a login form, oh, this is a tough analogy, actually. Tougher than I originally thought. There's many different ways that that button could get clicked, or that same information could get, potentially that same ng-model binding could get populated by data. It could either be by clicking on a button, it could be by clicking on another button, and that populates that data itself. And so at any given point, it could be radically unclear as to how one piece of data got into a particular state, mm -hmm. right? Like, was the login, is the current user, did that happen because of a cookie? Did that happen because you already authorized Facebook to log you in? Did that happen because somebody already logged in? through the standard login form, the state of the application where that current user person is could have come from anywhere. And so having one particular route where the current user's information came through is actually really nice because then you don't have to write different data migration paths through the application. You can just depend on it being delivered from one point, one specific data flow. Well, uh, let me let me uh, throw some things back at you, and then you tell me. Uh, it may help to clarify. Because I, I, actually, I think that's a pretty good example. I, mean, I think we're all familiar with having to type in the username, and if we use LastPass, it auto-fills for us. Or if we type it ourselves, it gets filled. Or as you say, it could be pulled from a cookie and pre-filled for us. So there are lots of ways that that data could get there. But behind the scenes, there is, in Angular 1 anyway, there would be... Uh, one object that holds the username, and that's what's being presented on screen. So, as you say, there are many sources, or there are many ways that could be mutated. How is that different in this one-way data flow versus if I had that same situation in Angular 1? Right, so let's say that we have a user service, and our user service is the thing that's holding onto that username. At some point in our application, and this might be a another rough example here, but at some point somewhere in the application, that service drops that username for a specific reason. Let's say that we have a log a user service and that user service has a log out function. Mm -hmm. And that while we're using that user service in let's say an NG1 controller, and that NG1 controller now itself is not bound to the service, but it's bound to the scope of that controller, that username. And the user service itself calls logout and drops that username, we still have access to that um, username within that controller. And the controller itself may or may not actually have seen that update. Whereas if you have one-way data flow and one-way data binding, there's a single source of truth and also a guarantee that you only have one path that can actually end up updating that. Again, this is I'm not talking specifically about tools here. I'm talking about the idea behind one-way data flow is that you have one particular thing that can actually end up mutating that. And in Angular 1, the one-way data flow would end up being something like that service where you don't actually hold on to the copy of the controller. 
from an ideal perspective. If you're talking about tooling, using something like Immutable inside of that service where anything that is trying to update that has to go through the Immutable um, updates, you can guarantee that who's ever calling that Immutable update, you'll catch where that's changing across your application rather than just depending on it to be how you left it or making a copy of that username, for instance. And you don't necessarily need one-way data flow, the idea and the ideology behind it, to have this guarantee. I particularly find it much easier to write my applications when I can depend upon the knowledge of knowing where, of understanding where that data is coming from. So are you, I'm trying to understand a little bit too, like, so we've got, I hear a lot with like unilateral, unidirectional data flow, is that what we call it? It's both. <laughs> uni, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Bifunctional. So we've got this unidirectional data flow, which does make it easier to know where it's coming from and going to. But I kind of call BS on some of this, and that's not for you, but that's more for the theory. That's, I don't think that that's the real issue. I think the real issue people have with two-way data binding is that technically it can cause some problems, right? It can cause some performance issues. It can cause some, you know, like in an Angular, it can ask some issues of dirty checking and other libraries that has it. Uh, you have to get into things like observables or whatever you want to do to make it work. Technically, I think it's extremely challenging to put that kind of thing in place. But, uh, and I think unidirectional flows help solve that problem and kind of make it go away. But it also introduces another problem, right? Now you have to deal with my data is flowing in a certain direction. So now I have to account for what I used to get for free out of data binding. Uh, since I've taken that away with two-way data binding, now I have to manage making sure that anything I enter into a screen goes to the backing store and the backing store comes back to the screen. So I don't think that's like one better than the other so much as it is. You've got to pick your poison. What do you want to deal with? What we understand is two-way bi data binding is not quite the issue, right? So what we understand is two-way data binding is, hey, if I go into a, some info box and I type that every keystroke updates some data on, you know, that I can view and see on the screen. That's what we think of as two-way data binding, right? And that's just one tiny little aspect of two-way data binding. But that scenario itself is completely possible on a one-way data flow, just so long as you're listening to the event of a keystroke, and on every keystroke, you go through the one-way flow. I mean, this is exactly. no different than a button, where if I click a button, something changes, and then that change causes uh, my data to be changed somewhere. Then that data causes my application to update the UI in some way. So that's a button, but that could be a keystroke. And so in Angular 2, if for those who watched all the videos, the ng-conf videos and all the announcements, there was no two-way data binding. And some percentage of the user base out there is, said that's a problem and some percentage didn't under really understand what was going on, but that there's an ng click and then there's a the, there's events bindings and there's data bindings and they were different. And when they added this whole ng model that has both the parentheses and the squares, they didn't add date to a data binding back in. All they did was automatically listen to the keystroke yes. event. And Joe, you hit exactly on my point. It's that's it's not the name of it, right? So when you hear, it's like HTML. I often say in HTML, there's the real HTML5, and then there's HTML5, the marketing term. HTML5 is, is HTML5, as we know it as technologists. But HTML5, the marketing term, if you talk to a lot of non-techies, HTML5 to them means iPad. It means CSS. It means JavaScript and SPAs. It means a lot of things. And I think in this case, data binding to the general masses of technologists just means Exactly what you said. I type data in here, and on those keystrokes, it shows up over there. And that's the concept of the marketing term of data binding. And as long as that ability is there, I don't think it matters if it's unidirectional data flow or it's eventing or it's data binding or what the heck it is. At least I personally don't care. I don't know about you guys. No, I concur with that. Yeah, so I have from an application development perspective typing in an input box and my user store has my username that I'm trying to log in with and the number of times that I've tried to log in. That doesn't matter if it's one way or two way, for sure. The thing that I kind of push back on that about is that everything flows through the same channel. And every time that if I can depend on it flowing through that same channel, number one, it makes testing a lot easier. I don't have to write scenarios that just can't happen because data is coming in from some other other way. Yeah, um, I agree. 
and also the application say I can have undo in my application pretty much for free, which you don't get with two-way data binding, at least not with a lot of without a lot of hacking. Or you have your own undo manager, which is just kind of I mean, I've done that in the past and that ends up always just being a giant hack. And then why, why is it for free? Huh? How is it for free? If you keep track of the changes because you have one one way to actually end up updating this data, then it's just a matter of replaying and undoing those changes. And you can do that in Angular too? Where do you listen? For well, you know, I type the keystrokes into the username box. Where do I listen to undo those? Don't I have to write code to do that? I'm talking about the theory of one-way data binding. I wasn't necessarily talking about the actual function of ah, writing. Ah, ah. Okay, because I mean, I always have a problem with the difference between, you know, between theory and practice. Because uh, you know, I've never had a problem uh, holding the original version uh, in my pocket and having you edit it, and then if you hit cancel, it replaces the, you know, it has a copy of the original and restores it. I don't have a problem with that. I, I kind of have the the clue that, that where you're going, like you said, like there might be one channel, except I don't know where that channel is. I don't know how to get involved in that channel. Uh, so if you have something like, you know, RxJS is actually really nice for this because anytime that something updates, you can store a copy of the change and then those changes propagate. That's at least where Rx, that's how one of the ways that I use it, at least. And then the other thing is if you end up having a crash, if there's a bug in your application and you know you're looking for how a user got to a particular screen having access to that having access to your the steps that your data took to get to that particular bug is so nice it's so nice to walk through a crash log being able to replay everything every step that that user took because there is a single source of data store for your uh, application data You've actually uh, had that experience, Ari? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is that, that baked in Angular 2, or are you programming that in through Rx? No, no, that, I use Rx with that. I've also done that with React Native, which is really nice when you're, when you're dealing with a mobile app and you're trying to catch, catch these data inconsistencies. So both, like, I've done it, I have it in Angular 2, like I said, through my uh, RxJS data store, and it just makes it so, ah, it's so much better, it's so much more refreshing to be able to hit play on my application, so to speak, and see where that crash occurred or walk through the last two or three or four steps that that data took to get. Yeah, it'd be nice. That'd be wonderful to see that illustrated and also to see how easy it is to make that sort of a general part of my application. Yeah, that's, um, that's probably actually a good post I should do on NG Newsletter. Let's go ahead and write that one down. <laughs> That's great, and I think what we're all kind of getting at is we, we all want we all want the functional ability in our applications uh, with Angular two to be able to get to these kind of things. But what I don't want, I'm personally not willing to do, is go back to what I used to do in early days of jQuery, which is you know wire up an event for every single thing I have to do and put a lot of code in there to make it all happen. Because I don't think we need to be there now. In Angular two, from everything I've seen. While there isn't true two-way data binding, as Joe said, there are mechanisms in place that give you that feel, uh, so you don't have to do a lot of work. Yeah, I I didn't mean to suggest that that. Oh no no, I, I didn't think you did, and I'll be clear for our listeners. I, I didn't think you were going there. I just wanted to make sure everybody understood the nuances because we were getting kind of deep technically. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. Uh, and you know, that's one of the reasons you use a framework in the first place. Yeah, we don't end up having to write those how the data actually gets to the screen and gets updated pieces, because that's the whole job for using something like Angular. I don't you want know, to do that for sure. One of my early days on a spa, uh, I was doing Knockout version 1 a couple of years ago. You talk about Backbone being old, you know, Knockout 2 as well, I guess. And I remember doing a demo, and I was in a very heated room where a lot of people were like, they were ready to throw me out the door. They're like, what are you trying to do with HTML5 and JavaScript? Let's go back to our XAML and server-side pages. And... I showed them, how would you get these 40 fields of data out of an object and throw them on the screen and then get them back out of the screen and put them back in the object? And, you know, it was basically reading all the data, setting each input field through selectors in jQuery to every single input box. And then when a button press or an event of keystroke, taking all 40 fields again and then pulling it back into an object. Now you're talking, you know, about 40 lines for each way. So you're talking 80 lines of code. And then you show them how to do that with some kind of a binding mechanism, which is really what we're ending up with. And that's what we have now in Angular 2 as well. Uh, and it's you're pretty much writing no code to get that to happen. 
which is much easier to deal with and much less buggy. Right. And that's when they stopped throwing me out the window. <laughs> well, this is a story that really, these claims about one-way data flow, it's a story that needs to be told. I have seen many attempts at it. Almost all of them uh, mischaracterize what's going on in a normal Angular app. I see it over and over again. They describe problems that don't actually exist in Angular 1 apps, and then they go on to say, and see how much cleaner this is. And, of course, the cleaner thing that they show, it doesn't even begin to have the complexity that they were illustrating is a problem in Angular 1, not because the complexity isn't in the framework, but, that you know, for example, let me stop doing it that way. Let me just say it like this. They will show, a typical example of this is they will say, see, when you have all these models and all these views crisscrossing each other, talking to all these model elements, what a mess, they say. This all goes away when we use one-way data flow. And then they go and they show a single view talking to a single model. Well, that's not, A, that's not, the first, <laughs> the first thing wasn't correct anyway, because nobody does that. Nobody writes five views that are crisscrossed to five models underneath. Nobody does that. If they do that, they're nuts, and you're not going to be able to stop them. So that was the ludicrous example uh, critique of the way it's done. But what's worse, almost as bad, is that they then say, see all that chaos over there? Look at this. Look at this one view and one model. And that's stupid because you're, the problem that you're trying to contrast with is five views, five models, and you're trying to tell me that it's simpler because you've got one view and one model. Well, of course, but you're not, it's not apples to oranges. So what we really need here is somebody to lay it out show why it is that this is superior with an apples-to-apples apples comparison and make it really clear what's going on and where that flow is and where that flow isn't under the Angular 1 world that we know today. And then I think the world will understand what everybody's talking about. Until I see that, I'm not buying it. And I don't think the world is buying it. I mean, forget about me. You don't have to convince me. But I don't think the rest of the, the, rest of the world is up there saying, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Just don't know what you guys are talking about. And it's pretty clear to me you don't know what you're talking about because if you can't lay it out in a clear example, you don't know what you're talking about. And I think they got a point. So Ari, as a writer, this is an opportunity, dude. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I'm hearing, right? It's a that's big opportunity because this story has not been told. There have been stories told about it, but they're all, as John called it, BS. I'm looking for the real story. Yeah, and to be very clear here, it might sound like we're we're all passionate about this. Nobody here is, is jumping on anybody. What this is all about is we're a bunch of technologists and we're all deep in the technology. And the one thing technologists are really bad at, besides being social animals with graces, is telling good stories. We tend to talk about the nitty-gritty details and the coolness factor, but we often forget to actually explain, if you do this, this is what you'll get, and this is why it's better. Uh, and that's what really needs to be told here. And I think the story, there's a story to be told there for why Angular 2 is going to be better. I mean, I'm already, you know, as I'm experiencing it, I think you probably are too, Ari, that in some sense, one of my problems is that I, I'm always talking to Angular 1 people who have in their heads how they think it ought to work. And I have to kind of clear that away uh, before I can get to what it does. But if I could talk to somebody new and I didn't have to reference what Angular 1 was like, I think... I'm, I'm, I got this feeling like I could talk about Angular 2 concepts and constructs in a way that was pretty simple. I don't have like 27 varieties of directive. I don't have 27 flavors of template syntax. You know, in other words, I, I have just a couple of ways. It seemed like there are more clear routes to how you program in Angular 2 and without feeling like you're handcuffed. And I think that's, I hope that's a story that you can tell. Um, when you write your book. Thanks, yeah, you know, that's hopefully that is what we're telling. And, you know, you said, you mentioned that you bought it. Please give us feedback, and if you want more of one thing, you know, let us know. Well, you know, that's why the book itself is as good as the original book. That's why people like it, is because we do, I mean, I, I suspect a part of why people like it is because we are focused on what people want and the feedback that we get. Yeah, and I, I've got your book as too as well too, Ari, and it's actually phenomenal. It's really good. We use it a lot at our office as a reference point. I think you've done a really good job uh, at in Angular One explaining when and why and how to use things, as opposed to just some books which go into here are the features and here's what they do. I mean that's great, but you kind of go beyond that and say this is when you do it, why you do it, and this is kind of how and when it works. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's not always easy to do that. You know. And I like it. I like it too. It's holding up a corner of my couch right now. 
I think you're speaking to the size of it. <laughs> you know how many books I've purchased in the last two years, technical books? Uh, two. Two. I've purchased two technical books, and NG Book is definitely one of them. Very honest. I'm a fan, so that's good. Oh, thank you. So tell us, can you, in a moment here, can you tell us a little bit about what your testing experience is? Because you said you're deep into that, and I am too. But tell me about it. Tell us about it quickly, if you can. It's a question I didn't expect, and I actually don't know how to answer it. How has it been? I like testing, and so I feel like writing tests with Angular 2, it has been a little trickier to figure out how to do that. But I think that comes from kind of what Trickier you than like. Angular 1? Well, it was trickier because... <laughs> You well, knew that, Angular 1? Exactly. That, that's exactly <laughs> like, where I was going. I taught a lot of people to, to test with Angular 1 and tricky. I'm trying up, to think of something trickier. It's it's up there in the trickiness factor. Yes. Angular 1 is. And I think Angular 2 is actually, in my limited experience with it, is going to be easier. Um, I think so, too. But right now, there's some rough edges to the support that Angular is providing to make it easy for you to write your tests. So if you were looking today, you might say, wow, what, you're making me jump through six hoops. But I think the hoops, are, they're going to get it down to one hoop, yeah. one, two hoops. And when they get the number of hoops down, it's going to be a lot clearer. At least that's what I'm finding. Yes, that's kind of where I was attempting to go, but you said it much cleaner than I did. Yes, I totally agree. So. I found it a little bit, to fully finish answering your question, I found it a little bit tricky in the beginning, and by the time that it actually gets out into wide use, it's going to be a lot easier. And you're right, teaching Angular 1 controller testing is probably one of the most painful things in the world. It really is. It's mysterious. Oh, directives are even worse. Well, they are. their directives are really bad, too. And I've just written a couple of Angular 2 tests in which I'm trying to focus on the interaction between, in my case, a controller and a DOM, but I guess it would be the directive and the DOM. And it, and it just it, it seemed more clear to me what to do, and it doesn't seem like there are 20 different ways to do it. Yeah, it's definitely getting easier, for sure. So it's going to get easier. You're... We, I know we need to wrap up soon, but did we already discuss like your book? Is what's the state of it? When's it going to be really? Is there a beta version people can go look at? There is. Thanks for asking. Uh, ngbook.com forward slash two is the site. You can, like I said, you can grab a pre release. We're aiming to have it done within the next three minutes or, or three minutes. <laughs> Whoa! Wow! Uh, Boom! Is that? Yeah, there it is. It's ng book. Com? Yeah, I'm sorry, ng-book.com. It will be done in the next two and a half minutes. No, we're going to have it done in the next three weeks. So you can grab the beta version today. And and everybody who listens to this podcast gets a free copy. No, okay. <laughs> well, I can do it this time. <laughs> they do for the next two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll John Papa will be buying them a free copy. Love it. And that's sorry. my pick. My, we're, we're ready for picks, aren't we? My pick is... The book you can't yet have for the framework you can't yet have. <laughs> <laughs> we cut off our, you were saying something. Yeah, listen to at NG Newsletter on Twitter, and we'll post a uh, discount code uh, for all the listeners here. All right, cool. I have another question, but we don't have time for it, so I will just save it. Okay. <laughs> it's an existential uh, question. You're going to tease us like that? I, okay, yeah. well, so so here's my question. I'll ask, but... Anyway, so the question is basically, we've been talking about Angular 2 for a long time, like, you know, a year, longer than a year. And I'm just wondering, I mean, a lot of people I'm talking to, they're just like, well, I'm just going to wait for Angular 2 and use some other framework in the meantime. And what I'm wondering is, you know, if we keep waiting for the beta to come out, how long is it going to be before eventually people who are in on Angular start moving away and we start losing them too? Like, how long is it going to be? How? Yeah, how I, I just I just wonder, you know, like, if it's in alpha in December or March, you know, if it's still in alpha, I, I mean, are people going to stop taking it seriously? Have you know, people think, already? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, that's something that we sh have to bring up to the, the Angular team. And you know, it's, I, I think we all as developers kind of want to hold on to our baby, right? Like, yeah. you know, we never want to see it pushed and fail out of kindergarten, so to speak. And I think that you know, if we keep keep doing that, pretty soon, you know, your startup runs out of money if you don't have a product that you can charge for. Just like your framework loses an audience if you don't have a framework. But that being said, Angular 1 is still really powerful. Yeah, you know, we solid. use Angular 1 a lot in our production apps, and we don't actually have any production Angular 2 apps. So I do think it's a good point, and it's not something that I can answer for sure, yeah. but... 
it's just something I've been thinking about and kind of I worry about sometimes. So anyway, let's go well, do picks. Uh, John, yeah. you want to start us with picks? Yeah. So uh, one pick I've got is it's great right now that people are starting to get interested in Angular 2 lately. The, be- the betas. Yeah, the alphas have been solidifying a bit. And the Angular team and a lot of your guys here on the podcast have been hosting uh, hackathons in uh, different parts of the country and the world. And uh, my pick right now is a local one. We're doing one here in Orlando on October 6th, where we're going to have a hackathon. And we actually only sold out at the free event. We sold out in about seven or eight minutes. So I think my pick is go ahead and start a hackathon in your area. Go ahead and see if you can get a bunch of people together and hack out on Angular 2. Provide some feedback to the team and start getting used to using it. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Uh, Joe, what are your picks? I'm going to pick because it's kind of like the week that new shows are coming out on TV. It's at least just started this week, although by the time this airs, it'll have been a little while ago. But new shows. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, Joe, I know what you're going to say. You're going to uh-huh. tell them they should all see the new episode of Dancing with the Stars. I know it. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Paula Dean. <laughs> Isn't she on it? I swear I just saw an article that she was on Dancing with the Stars. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Anyway, Are you going to say The Muppets? Because I, I agree. I totally agree. I haven't watched it yet. Did you like it? I didn't watch it yet either. Uh, but I love The Old Muppets. I really hope that it's as good as The Old Muppets, but I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> the, the one show that I have watched so far is Big Bang Theory. So I'm going to pick Big Bang Theory because it's an awesome, awesome show. Love it. It's fantastic. And the other thing I'm going to pick is a comic book. I'm not really a big comic book guy. I've read very well... Sorry, graphic novel. See, people out there who who are into comic books and graphic novels are probably flipping off the their pod iPod right now or phone. I'm not a big graphic novel guy, or I wasn't a big comic book guy either, nor nor am I now. But I just read this graphic novel titled Wolverine: Old Man Logan, <laughs> and it was really fun. It was a great read, and. I highly recommend it. So that's going to be my second and final pick is Wolverine, Old Man, Logan. If you like, you know, mainstream superheroes at all, it's a really cool story. Extremely graphic. Don't get it for your kids. That's it. Very cool. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I have one more pick. In the spirit of John saying do hackathons, we started up a meetup specifically for developers to go and play board games at a local board game store. And socialize. We have tons of meetups that are about going and doing technical things. But we don't have a lot of meetups for developers to just network and socialize in a fun environment. And a lot of people like board games. It's very popular, especially among developers. And it's also an opportunity if you have a significant other to bring your significant other. And so we're having one. We're actually hosting our first event tonight. And so that is my pick is to start up a meetup for board gaming for your local developer community. We did it specifically in the JavaScript community here, but of course that really doesn't matter whether it's generic or not. But go and do that and give yourself an opportunity to socialize and network. Now I'm done. Uh, cool. Ward, what are your picks? Well, I thought I didn't have one, but then I realized after this last couple of shows that it was to reread Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot. In which Vladimir and Estragon wait endlessly for someone named Godot to arrive. That's my joke pick. I have no serious picks. <laughs> it's a great well, it's a great play though. Yeah, it's a good one. Waiting for Guffman is a good take on it too. Oh, that is so funny. That would have to be a second pick. Love that. There you go. All right. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and make a couple of picks here. The first pick I have is iOS nine. I've Got an iPad Mini 4, and so I actually, you know, doing the update gets me some features like doing the side-by-side picture-in-picture and all that stuff, which is super nice. And then there are just some other enhancements to it that I really like on both the iPhone, I have an iPhone 6 Plus, and on the iPad. So I'm going to pick those. Another pick I have is I just found out that you can program the Pebble Watch with JavaScript, and I didn't know that. And I don't know why I didn't know that, but I didn't know that. So I'm going to pick pebble.js. Uh, which is a programming system for the Pebble Watch. I have a Pebble Time Steel. So yeah, so those are my picks. Ari, do you have some picks for us? I do. I have two, and then I think we've got to call it. Yep. If you've never used Emacs before, uh, Space Max is an awesome way to get in, involved in it. 
if you're interested. I tried, I've used Emacs for a long time and also used Vim for a long time. Emacs itself is pretty awesome. Our Space Max itself makes it even more awesome. That's my number one pick. And my number two pick is if you are interested in learning and using OCR, that's uh, Object Character Recognition, uh, with computer vision, there's a project that I've been playing around with called Open OCR, which uses the Tesseract API, and it's really fun. And it really helps a lot, and it uses Docker. Is that, is that the same Tesseract that was the Avengers movie? Yeah, that one. It sucks you on. It is. You're in. All right. This has been fun, guys. It has been. Thanks, Ari. Thanks yeah, for thanks, Ari. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 